G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Is there anybody in this room other than me that has had a time in your life when you thought about walking away from it all? And sometimes it's when we've come to the end of ourselves and really given up total control, and we know the only way this can happen is God, that God steps in and delivers. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. One truth that will be delivered in love and compassion, connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. You make me Today. Today. Today with Jeff Fines. Hi, and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Today we'll hear about how hard it can be to wait for things, or what it must have been like for God's people to wait for their Messiah to arrive. This is The King Has One More Move from Luke chapter 1, verse 5. All right, Luke chapter 1, verse 5. Luke 1, 5. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. Got a question for you while you're finding that. How many of you remember when you were young, it took forever for Christmas to get here? (laughs) Not amazing, isn't it? Now, when you get older, it flies right by, doesn't it? December 26th, you wonder, what on earth happened? It's gone. But remember how, but when you were younger, man, when you're younger, it's like it takes forever, especially if you lived in the Vines household. Because my mom had the Christmas tree up the day after Thanksgiving and all the presents under the tree too. <laughs> so that's brutal when you're a, a young man or young boy. You think about being eight, nine years old and mom's already got all the presents under the tree so you can go out and pick the ones that has your name on it. What are you going to do? You're going to shake, rattle and roll, right? You're going to try to find out what's in there. Now, I got a few questions I want to ask you. And you're in church, be honest. <laughs> Number one, how many of you How many of you, when your parents were away, went to the house trying to find the presents that you knew were hidden somewhere? Raise your hand. Come on. Come on. All right. Number two, second question. How many of you, you went to the house when your parents were out trying to find the presents that you knew were hidden and you found them? You found them. All right. All right. Good. Good. Third question. How many of you wait till your parents are gone, went to the house looking for the presents you knew were hidden, you found them and you got them out and played with them? Yeah, I love you people. Okay, one more. There, can you believe there's one more? How many of you went through the house looking for the presents? You found them, you played with them, and you broke it. <laughs> oh, come on. I'm not the only one. There you go. There's one honest. Come on. You broke. Listen, let me tell you. Our first Christ- the first Christmas I remember was the Christmas we got Rock'em Sock'em Robots. So we got the blue bomber here and the red rocker. Great gift still to this day. My brothers and I would just play this game. But... I came from a rather poor family, so when you broke the rock'em sock'em robots, which were quite easy to do, 
When you did that, you had to wait all the way to next Christmas to get the next set of Rock and Sock and Robots. And so we broke the first set probably in three months. Uh, my older brother, Tim, just kind of did this when you're not supposed to. That's the rules, you know. But he kind of smacked this thing hard in the head, just kind of kept going. And uh, this, this, the back of the blue bomber broke, so he wasn't as bomber, I guess, as we thought, but he was broken. Now, <sighs> the second year we ordered this, we knew it was coming, but we also knew it was in the house long before Christmas. And we weren't going to wait till Christmas to play with it. So we went through the house and we found around December 1st. Now you can imagine what we did. One of us would look out the window, waiting for the parents to come home. The other three were in playing Rock'em Sock'em Robots. <laughs> now that year I remember distinctly because that's the year we broke it. So now we had to put it back in the box and put it back where it was without our mom finding out because she would be livid, man. There would be punishment. And we put it back in the box. Now, I think of this now. We were such liars. I was such a lie. And I'm going to grow up to be a senior pastor? Really? Don't give up on your kids. Do not give up on your kids. <laughs> because when Christmas came, we opened the gift. We knew, all knew it was broken. And we opened it up and went, oh, wow, look at that. There's a travesty. What kind of company sells broken stuff? Oh, it's terrible. And uh, my father felt so bad. He was so miserable thinking that he had not given his sons a good Christmas. And he looked around all the next day trying to find... This was back when the stores didn't open right away on the day after Christmas. And he, had, he went everywhere, drove all the way to Kingsport. That was like 45 minutes away and brought them home. And we never told him. It's terrible. Little liars. <laughs> now, tell you that story because we in the West, especially the East does it better. But in the East or in the West... In the West, we don't like waiting. It's not a, we just don't like to wait, do we? I tell you this because I want you to understand that the first Christmas, when the first Christmas came, they had been waiting 2,000 years. That's a long time. They were basing the first Christmas on a promise that Abraham was given that one day his name would be great, that the nation would be great, and that many other nations would be blessed by the nation of Israel. And so they had been waiting 2,000 years when the first Christmas comes. 2,000, I mean, that, I'm talking about 28 days. This is 2,000 years. The point is that a lot of people, because it had been 2,000 years, just gave up. But there was a remnant of people, a small group of people in every generation that kept watching, that kept faithful, that woke up every morning, even though it had been hundreds and hundreds of years. And generation after generation had passed. Men and women had been born. They had died. Another generation comes. And still, the first Christmas hadn't come. But there were still people, 2,000 years later, still waking up every morning saying, today's the day, maybe, that Messiah will come, that the Christ child will be born, that a son will be given, and God will restore and redeem mankind. And they kept waiting, and they were faithful. And two such people in the Christmas story Zechariah and his lovely wife, Elizabeth. And the reason it's important for me to go through this story is because their story is our story. You know why? Is there anybody in this room other than me that has had a time in your life when you thought about walking away from it all? Yeah. Forgetting the Christian stuff, just going on with your life, 
and thinking maybe it's a myth, maybe this is a legend. No, I'm the only one. I'm the only one that's come to a point in my life when I've said, you know, why am I even doing this? Am I doing this because I've been indoctrinated by my mom and dad? Am I doing this because it was just passed down to me? Oh, and then you let trouble come. Let, let a job loss come in the scenario. Let somebody that you pray for so hard and so long die. So have you ever come to a time in your life when you thought, you know what, why am I doing this? When you're young, I remember, why am I not sleeping with my girlfriend? Why am I giving my money away? Why am I doing this? And what I want to say to you is it's the first Christmas story that has been included for anybody who's thought about packing it all up, just getting out of town, saying, forget all of this. I'm going back. I'm taking control. That's it. This first story is for you. So here we are in verse five. The Bible says in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Now notice from the get-go, this is history. It's not a myth, not legend. We're talking about real people in a real time and a real place. Herod, king of Judea, there is a priest, Zechariah, a real person, who was from the priestly division of Abijah. And the Bible says that not only was he a priest, as a matter of fact, where Zechariah is concerned, his daddy was a priest, his granddaddy was a priest, and his granddaddy's daddy was a priest, right on down the line for 2,000 years. And not only that, his wife, Elizabeth, she comes from priestly heritage. She is a descendant, the Bible says, of Aaron. Now, the Bible says, according to verse 6, that both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. You think about that. All the Lord's commands? Have you ever read the Old Testament? There's a lot of commands. There are food laws, cleanliness laws, sacrificial laws, laws that impacted just about every area of life. And the Bible says when it comes to these laws, these two people were blameless. That means if you sent a private investigator out to follow them around, he'd come up with nothing. And I want you to notice they're living according to all these laws on a promise that were, was given 2,000 years ago to a guy named Abraham. 2,000 years, generation after generation after generation. You think about that. Like, folks, I can't even wait in the Chick-fil-A line. I think the Chick-fil-A sandwich is the best chicken sandwich on the planet. But if I go to the drive-thru and there's like more than five cars, I'm out of here. I'm not waiting. That's like, what, 12 minutes? We're talking 2,000 years, their entire life. And they're still being obedient to God. Now, here's the question. How's that working out for them? Look at verse 7. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Now, let me get this straight. If I'm reading this right, day after day, they wait for the Messiah. Day after day, they're waiting for Christmas to come. They're good people doing good stuff, faithful and blameless, and God had left them barren. Now, you, we got, you and I have no idea, no idea the shame this would have brought Elizabeth. In the first century culture, if you're a woman and you can't have a child, it's your fault. And people believe that you were cursed by God because of the wicked in your heart. You're also talking about a culture that believed the only use or purpose for women was childbearing. Now, I want to remind you, Jesus came along and he turned that up on its head and he said, we're all equal. There's neither male nor female. So you can thank Jesus for the equality. But before that, before that, in any culture, in any society, women were basically childbearers. So now you imagine if that's the only purpose in your life and you're not even able to do that, the sense of uselessness or purposelessness or meaninglessness that you would feel. 
and the shame that she would feel. And yet she honors God. She serves day after day. And yet she's still barren. And now it's too old for her. It's too late for her rather because she's too old. And she's going to go to her grave with that shame. Now, it's important for you to remember all this because I'm just trying to get you to see that in the first Christmas story, Elizabeth and Zechariah are doing what they're doing. They're living their lives faithfully to God every day of their lives based on a promise that was given 2,000 years ago to a guy named Abraham, that his nation would be great, that his name would be great, and that all nations on the earth would be blessed because of him. And yet, since that promise, there have been 25 regime changes. The Syrians, the Babylonians, the Greeks, the Romans have all at one time or another conquered Israel. They've been enslaved. They've been exiled for over 70 years. They've been occupied. And now they're finally dispersed. They no longer have any international influence in the world. So you would excuse Zechariah and Elizabeth if they just packed up and went home and forgot all this and forgot about being faithful. After all, how on earth could God bless all peoples through the nation of Israel when they no longer even have any international voice? Now, to add insult to injury, if you know your Old Testament, New Testament history, or just world history, you'll know that in 65 BC, before Christ, Pompey the Great, the great Roman general, waltzed into Jerusalem, seized the city, walked to the temple, walked through the uh, palace or the temple guards, walked through the outer court, walked through the inner court, walked right past the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple, walked in, looked around, took what he wanted, walked out, and nothing happened. And the Jews believed that if you walk into the Holy of Holies unannounced, unwelcome, that God will strike you dead. Yet here's Pompey the Great, the heathen general, walks in, looks around, takes what he wants, walks out, nothing happens to him. And this was kind of like the final nail in the coffin for so many in Israel because the implications were clear that Jupiter, the god of the Romans, was more powerful than the Hebrew god Yahweh. Now stay with me. Zechariah would have been a little boy when that happened. So he would have seen his father come home and tear his clothes. That's what you did when you were really angry. Don't do that here. But tear his clothes and just frustrated and angry that God allowed this Pompey the Great to walk into the Holy of Holies, look around, take what he wanted, and didn't strike him dead. I mean, if I were Zechariah's father, you'd be thinking, man, there's a guy in the Old Testament, he just touched the ark to keep it from falling on the ground, and God smote him. How does this heathen general walk into the Holy of Holies and get away with it? And Zechariah would have seen all that, and yet he still goes into the priesthood. He still goes into the priesthood because he believes that if God allowed this, even though he may not ever understand that this must be part of God's plan and purpose to redeem and restore mankind. Are you with me still? So Zechariah serves the Lord all his life. Elizabeth serves the Lord all her life. They marry. Everything's falling apart. Jews are falling away, but they remain faithful. Now, if you were Elizabeth, you could understand why some of your friends might come up and say to you, why don't you just pack it all in? Give it up, man. It's a myth already. It's a legend. Go on with your life and forget about all this. God has abandoned you, man. Take control of your life. But according to the story, as we're going to see, they remained faithful. Even when most others had given up, they believed that the game was not over. They believed that checkmate had not come, that God was not finished. Now, I want you to look at verse 8. Before you do, realize that suddenly, after all this time, God moves. And can I just say, that's usually the way it works. When you get to the point in your life when you think there's nowhere to go, it's all over, and God's not going to move, that's usually when he shows up. It's uncanny. 
In verse 8, once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Now look up, here's what's happening. There are 23 groups of priests and they'll cast lots, they'll roll the dice and the dice would land on the one who would get to go on a very special occasion and go past the outer court, in the inner court and just outside the temple, just outside the temple curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the holy place. They wouldn't get to go all the way in, but they would stand outside and they would burn incense flowing up to God as representative of the prayers that were going up before God, that God would send his Messiah, that the first Christmas would come. And while the priest who was chosen, by the way, you were never chosen twice because there weren't enough occasions, but there were too many priests. So if you got chosen once, that was the last time. It was a once in a lifetime thing. And while you're burning this incense, all the other priests are out in the outer court waiting for you to come out. So the Bible tells us in verse 10, when the time of burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So Zechariah was the one chosen. So he goes in to burn the incense while all of his friends stay outside. Verse 11, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. That is standard angel response in the Old and New Testament. Let's just get that out of the way. Fear not. Now, why would that be the first response? Why would the angel get that response out of the way? Because when you saw an angel, you were, oh, you were terrified. Oh, no, you, no, no you're, you're not just afraid. You are scared. You are terrified. That's why when somebody comes to me today and says, Pastor Jeff, I saw an angel, cute little thing. <laughs> and I talked to them and they talked to me. Now, I don't say this, but just be prepared. If you ever say that to me, I'm going to tell you up front what I'll be thinking. I'll be thinking, oh, no, you didn't. You didn't see a biblical angel because mm -mm, you'd be terrified. Folks, even when they're not trying to be scary, they're scary. Even when they try to turn it down a notch or two, you're going to be terrified. And even when he had good news, this angel had good news for Zechariah and he's a good man and he's still terrified. Imagine how you and I would feel. We start confessing our sins. We start talking about how we're going to be in church more often, how we're going to start tithing. And then the angel said, your prayer has been heard. Now you can excuse Zechariah if he said, oh yeah, well, when exactly was that? Because we prayed for that in our twenties. We kept praying in our thirties. We continued to pray in our forties and just by, you know, a miracle, we prayed in our fifties, but now we're too old. As a matter of fact, the angel says, your wife, Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. Do you know that's a common theme in the Bible? God waits till a woman who really, really wants a child till the time that they're thinking there's no way possible now it's too late, and then gives her a child. That's so like God. It is. There's something about God not wanting to share his glory with anybody. And sometimes it's when we've come to the end of ourselves and really given up total control. And we know the only way this can happen is God, that God steps in and delivers. Just a thought. Now, I want you to look at what happens here. The Bible says that this young boy will be born and he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. Who is the, boy, who's the baby we're talking about? John who? John the Baptist. And he will go out and what will he say? He will say, all of you who have given up, all of you thrown in the towel, all those who thought God would not be faithful, come back, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. John is pre-Christmas, but Christmas is soon coming. 
The first Christmas is about to arrive. So repent, apologize, say you're sorry for giving up on God and start to look and watch and wait again because God always fulfills his word and his promises always become true. And then we come in verse 17 and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the heart. In other words, he will show people that God is real. If you know the old Testament story to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And then comes in verse 18, the most diplomatic verse in the Bible. You with me? Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. See, I think Zechariah's saying, wait a minute, I've heard these things get written down somewhere. I'm an old man, but my wife is well along in years. Be careful. In other words, angel, how can this be? It's too late. It's too late. We're too old. Verse 19, the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at the appointed time. Wait, wait, wait a minute. You telling me that God had a day marked on the calendar when this would all happen? Yes. Are you telling me that in those times and seasons when it looked that God was not involved, he was really, really involved and knew how everything was going to come to pass? Yes. Are you telling me that before the foundations of the world, that God has an appointed time in my life when he knows this, that thing for which I'm praying is going to become a reality? And for those who remain faithful and true, you will see the blessing and the glory of God? Yes. In his time and in his way. Now, here's what happens. Zechariah is in there. He's just spoken with the angel and the angel gave him a message, which was what? Just for that, just because you didn't believe you're going to be, you're not going to be able to speak till this comes true. What do you think about that, Zechariah? Of course, he can't talk back because he can't speak. (laughs) And then the Bible says that while Zechariah is doing all this with the angel, that all these guys in the outer court, hundreds of the priests that are in the outer court, they're waiting for Zechariah and they're thinking to themselves, dude, what's taking so long? It doesn't take that long. He's been in there forever. Then he comes out and of course they come to him and they say, what happened? And what's the problem? He can't speak. And the Bible says he starts making signs. Now that means this is the first game of charades. <laughs> I can, can't you just imagine Zechariah coming out and he, you know, he's like this and somebody in the audience started, somebody said, first word. <laughs> and Zechariah would have done something like, and they said, God. And he said, no, no, no. <laughs> angel. Got it. Angel. Second word. Okay. And somebody said, yeah, second word. And he, he goes like this, baby. And somebody would say, angel's going to have a baby. And Zechariah said, no, no, no. And then somebody said, your wife. Oh yeah. Your wife's going to have a baby. Verse 23. When the time of service was completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Now, can you imagine the elation that Elizabeth feels? She waits five months and then by six months, she's going to be showing, right? And she gets to go down to the temple where she's been the talk and the shame Don't you know she walked sideways? (laughs) Don't you know? She wore some kind of t-shirt, probably said, can't touch this or something like that. And just the, 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 the way she must have felt about God and the joy and, oh man, the miracle that took place. This is our story. 
Do we stay or do we go? Do we keep hanging on for a promise that was given a long time ago or do we leave? You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. Whatever it is, the big giant that you're facing in your life right now, never, ever give up. Never give up. Are you telling me that in those times and seasons when it looked that God was not involved, He was really, really involved and knew how everything was going to come to pass? Yes. And for those who remain faithful and true, you will see the blessing and the glory of God. Yes. In His time and in His way. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.